before we roll our brand new video clip for this new spring series. Let's pray, you and I. Oh God, the church has one foundation. It's the grand truth of the church today. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's here through his spirit. He said, two or three gather in my name, I'm there. We recognize his presence. And we humbly ask that you'll take these moments left in your word, speak to every listening heart. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's roll that uh, video clip. I'm going to share a word with you that went viral last year. And the reason it went viral last year is because the social psychologist, Adam Grant, happened to include the word in an op-ed piece he wrote for the New York Times. Let me put the word on the screen. You've probably heard it before. Languishing. Languishing. What's that mean? We don't know it so much by definition. We know it by experience. We're coming out of a pandemic, so they tell us. Languishing. The piece that Adam Grant wrote bore the title, There's there's a Name for the Blah That You're Feeling. It's called Languishing. And guess what? It became the number one piece in the New York Times, read read time after time after time, more than any of the article last year in the New York Times. Dwayne Kovrig introduced me to that factoid. Languishing. The whole nation responds. Churches respond. We all know the meaning of the word. Here's Adam Grant's uh, definition. Languishing, a state of being that neither falls into the category of depression nor flourishing, but is more akin to a constant state of meh, a feeling of being somewhat joyless and aimless, a sense of stagnation and emptiness. Feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, becoming indifferent to your indifference. So I love that line. Indifferent. Have we become indifferent to our indifference? Languishing. Maybe some of you are experiencing languishing right now. How do we get out of it? That's the question. Let's see if we can find an answer. Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, a book that we don't go to a lot, except our faith community globally went to this book in the last uh, three months. We're going to go back because there was a little passage that didn't get dealt with, and we're going to deal with it right now. You and I have never been there before. Hebrews chapter 10. Come on, you got your Bible? I want to tell you something. You're, going to, you're waiting for, oh, come on, do I put it on the screen? No, come on. You bring your Bible. 
No, I'm serious. We're so dependent on these little electronic devices. Oh, okay, I'm looking it up on my phone. Well, that's okay. But you know what? Somebody, your mother gave you a Bible once upon a time. It's sitting on that shelf in the dorm. Your mother, your, your, your husband gave you a Bible once upon a time. Use the Bible. Bring it to church. You'll never be embarrassed here, I promise you, by bringing your Bible, ever. So Hebrews chapter 10, I got my Bible. This is the New International Version. Let's drop down Hebrews chapter 10 to verse 23. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the capital D day approaching. What's the capital D day? What's D day for the human race? Come on. What's D day for the human race? It is the return of Christ. Capital D day. The closer we get, the more. That's what Paul and Many of us believe that Paul, in fact, was the author of this passage. Oh, let me tell you a little bit about this congregation that, to whom Paul wrote. Scholars are saying, well, it could maybe somebody else. I'm going to hang on to the Paul definition. He writes to them, and by reading the book, we discover a, a spiritual profile of this church. Number one, they're established Christians. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with established Christians. That can be a boon. It can also be a bane. That means a plus or a minus. We just don't know yet. They, they've, been, they've been hanging around for a while. Now, you think they're a new religion come about the 60s A.D., but no, they're, they're, the religion is beginning to feel old to them. And all the while, I'm thinking about Adam Grant's word. I'm thinking about languishing. I'm thinking, maybe this church has what those of us that just come out of the pandemic have. It has languishing. I like the way William Johnson in his book, An Absolute Confidence, he describes what they're suffering from is tired old blood. Tired blood. You never heard that phrase before. There used to be a product sold in this country called Geritol. And only those who are old remember that. Tired blood. Here, let, let's read Bill Johnson on the screen for ourselves. In this epistle, we find a fairly clear spiritual profile of the recipients of Hebrews. Their problem is not false teachers like they had in Galatia. No, no. Nor is it the heady enthusiasm because of the manifestations of the Spirit as in Corinth. Corinth. No, no, no. It's not a question of the failure of the Jews to receive the gospel as in the book of Romans. No, their problem, the congregation in Hebrews, is one of tired blood. I'm thinking languishing. They have grown weary with waiting for the Lord's return, sluggish in their Christian identity, questioning the value of their religion more so as hard times for Christians appear to loom on the horizon. We have no idea what's coming next. I mean, we had the pandemic. Then we got Ukraine. Ukraine's just starting up, perhaps. We have no idea. My tired blood, languishing. Hey, let me be candid with you right now. I'm concerned for the church post-pandemic. I'm talking about this congregation right here. I can't speak for all the other congregations on the planet. But I'm concerned as we come out of this long, dark tunnel we've called the pandemic. How can we not help but be languishing? I mean, we hardly get out of the pandemic. We've got this war in Europe. Gas prices have gone to the roof. Inflation is gobbling up money that we might be saving. And then Will Smith goes and slaps Chris Rock on live television. I mean, what's wrong with this world? I'm telling you. Something's crazy. Something's going on. And nobody knows what to do. 
Do you think that the church is somehow exempted from this languishing? No. Hey, listen, this church, let's just talk about this one. We got, we got children's Sabbath school leaders, great leaders. They're working downstairs, working their, working their hearts out every single week, getting ready for the Sabbath, working with a smaller and smaller team of volunteers. They can't find help. This isn't pre-pandemic. I'm just telling the truth about post-pandemic, all right? I don't care about pre-pandemic anymore. We got a board of deacons, a third of which has disappeared. The head deacon tells me, I don't know where they are. Gone. Whoa, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you this post-pandemic truth. We got a volunteer engagement committee. We call it VEC around here. That, is, that has the huge task of soliciting 600 volunteers. That was a number pre-pandemic. We have no idea what the number is going to be post-pandemic. They're, they're meeting right now as we speak in April. I'm not complaining, but I'm telling you the post-pandemic truth. Adam Grant was onto something when his word goes viral, languishing. The word, the word's gone viral. Our experience has gone viral. Everybody has it, languishing. My. And by the way, it's not just Pioneer. Let's not diss ourselves. Let me talk about general Christianity in America. I'm going to turn to that uh, kind of the, the, the standard bearer for evangelical Christians in America, Christianity Today. In a piece they ran, church after the pandemic, look at what they're noticing. The past year and a half, David Kinneman, president of the Barna Group, said, didn't just change how Christians met. It changed their hearts and minds toward the church. You reading this? Keep reading. Barna found that a third of practicing Christians had dropped out of church at some point. And 29% of senior pastors, moi, said they seriously considered quitting in the past year. We're not talking about a make-believe imaginary problem. It's a problem for Christianity. Adventist Christianity, any Christianity. My languishing the Hebrews congregation. I'm talking about your congregation. We've got people watching from congregations all over the planet right now. I'm talking about your congregation, my congregation, languishing. It's no wonder the passage reads the way it does. Read it again. I want you to notice something here. We'll go back to it. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the capital day approaching. Did you happen to catch all of that high-touch, high-touch communal language embedded in what we just read? High touch. Three times it appears. Let us, let us, let us. It doesn't say let me. It doesn't say let you. It's let us. We are in this together. It is high touch and communal. You watch this. What is let us consider how we may spur one another on. Oh, I like that. Spur one another on. Back when it snowed this winter, yesterday, if you and I had been cross-country skiing over at Love Creek, and I did, I did skiing in Love, Love Creek. It's a beautiful place to cross-country ski. If you'd missed it this year, get it next year. If you and I were cross-country skiing together, and we noticed off in the trees there's somebody face down in the snow, we'd rip these skis off so fast and make your head swim. We'd race over to that person. He might, she might have hypothermia. And what's the first thing you do? You roll them over to get the face, and then you start, wake up, wake up, wake up. Why? Because the person, if a person falls asleep, you're dead. You can't fall asleep in the cold. 
And then we start working the limbs. Yeah, we start working the limbs. Whoa, come on, come on, buddy. Come on, you're going to make it. Come on, come on, come on. Paul says, let us spur one another on. In the languishing of a church where people are slowly falling asleep and disappearing. Hmm. Let us, let us spur. Boy, that's a high action word. Let us spur one another on. Remedy for languishing. You want, you want a remedy for languishing? That's it right there. Tired blood, that's it right there. Spur one another on with deeds of love, good deeds of love and truth. And by the way, Paul goes on, don't give up meeting together. We just read that. Don't give up meeting together. You're going to love the Greek word here because the Greek word goes like this, epi synagogin. Now, if I take the epi off, which is a preposition, if I take the epi off and you just have synagogin, what is synagogin? If I say it fast, what does it sound like? You got it. Synagogue. That's how we say it in American English. Synagogue. What Paul is writing to the church is, listen, don't give up synagoguing together. If you'd be writing to the church in the third millennium, which is what you and I are, he, he would say, don't give up churching together. Please keep churching. We got to keep churching. We got to stay together. Don't absent yourself. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. One of your translations puts it that way. Don't. Talking about high-touch communal language and experience, remedy for the languishing church, remedy for tired blood. No Lone Rangers in this church. Lone Rangers belong in black and white cowboy movies long ago. There are no Lone Rangers in Christianity. You can't be a Lone Ranger and survive. That's the deal. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. But there's more. He says, not only not give up meeting together, I go on reading, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. That's high touch and communal. Because that's, that's doing this. That's grabbing me by the shoulders. You grabbing me and say, come on, boy, wake up. Get, get with it. Knock yourself out of this. You're going to die. That's me grabbing you and saying, hey, wake up, will you? You don't realize how close you are to being gone. Encourage one another. High touch. Communal. Especially, Paul writes, the closer we get to D-Day, the closer we get to the return of Christ, this is really critical now. You can't, you can't drift away now. Powerful. High-touch communal language all through this passage directed to the members of a languishing body of Christ, a tired blood body. Oh, man. I don't think I'm going to keep this up. This is killing me. That kind of person. That kind of church. Let's read it one more time. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Please, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the capital D-Day approaching. Now the plot really thickens. I'm telling you. Because I'm going to introduce some research from Harvard University's Human Flourishing Program. In my humble opinion, you are about to read a stunning conclusion from their research. You ready for this? I'll give it to you right here. I want to thank Don Latour, by the way, my friend, uh, for putting me in touch with this research. Last month, the directors of this Harvard program, Brendan Case and Tyler Vader-Veeu, wrote a report of their research. Here's the title of the report. 
why some Americans are flourishing in a languishing nation. Okay? So now I'm going to run some, some, some stats by you. Gallup's findings, because Gallup took a poll uh, recently. So they've looked at the Gallup poll results. Gallup's findings offer some intriguing evidence. Oh, really? Tell us. Okay. According to the poll, a better predictor of life satisfaction. All right? So I'm going to stand in front of this right now. A better predictor of life satisfaction. Hey, are you satisfied with your life? Hey, are you, girl, are you satisfied with your life? There's some factors that mean you get a higher satisfaction rate, a better predictor of life satisfaction than educational attainment. Oh, this is a university. Hey, how many degrees do you have? Oh, brother, I got more. You know, this is, well, we ought, we ought to be about educational attainment, of course. But those degrees do not raise your satis- not life satisfaction. Keep reading. A better, a better predictor of life satisfaction than educational attainment or even income. How much money are you making? Whoa. No. Was, was religious service attendance. I'm putting in the brackets, going to church. Not having church at home, going to church. My... You got my attention now. Can you give me some numbers? They said, we can. Here we go. 60% of weekly service attenders, churchgoers, reported being very satisfied with their lives. 67%. That's two-thirds, okay? Whereas that was true for only 51% of the nation as a whole. A half of Americans say, I'm very satisfied with my life. But two-thirds of people who go to church say, I'm very satisfied with my life. Oh, is there anything else? Oh, yes. And for only 61% of those making at least 100000 a year or more. So the more money you make does not increase your life satisfaction factor. The highest variable is going to church. Can you believe this? My, oh, my, oh, my. Wow. Based on Harvard's own research, this report from the Human Flourishing Program concludes. I'm going to give you five bullets right now. Five bullets. Here they come. Bullet number one, religious participation, church going, seems to promote individual flourishing through the friendships it fosters. That's why it's so cool that we finally open the church up and you can feel safe sitting next to somebody. You're meeting somebody when you come to worship. That's, That's a good thing. Because relationships grow out of it. Friendship is a factor that really boosts life satisfaction. Here's bullet number two. Harvard studies estimate that about half of the effect on satisfaction people experience comes from deep and supportive relationships. Somebody cares about me. They don't know that I've turned the laptop on. They don't care. But when I show up, they care. When I don't show up, they care. That's what they're finding. comes from deep and supportive relationships. Uh, Bullet number three, religious participation, church going, effects are also particularly strong with respect to marriage. All of you that are young and haven't gotten married yet, listen up, are particularly strong with respect to marriage with weekly service attenders being about 50% less likely to divorce than never attenders. You want some marriage insurance policy and you're getting married? Go to church together. Go to church together. Not one of you go and the other stay at home. No, go to church together. Wow. One more. Two more. Religious participation. Again, going to church. Strongly predicts against self-destructive behaviors. Hmm, This is interesting. 
Compared with never attenders, regular attenders were substantially less likely, 68% less likely for women, 33% less likely for men. They were less likely to die from alcohol poisoning, drug overdose, or suicide. Final bullet, number five. But service attendance doesn't merely protect us against dysfunction. Keep reading. It also seems to promote positive actions and attitudes, including greater generosity with one's time, greater generosity with one's money, and a greater sense of purpose in life. Can you believe what we just looked at? Wow. Goodbye languishing. Goodbye. Question. Who would have thought that going to church would make this kind of a difference? Answer. God, which is why he gave us Hebrews 10. Wow. Mercy. By the way, Peter T. O'Brien, one more point. This is heavy. Peter T. O'Brien in his his commentary letters to uh, Hebrews reacts to the strong communal language in this passage. And he's focusing in on this not giving up meeting together. This way, okay? So here we go. Peter T. O'Brien. The admonition to not give up meeting together, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, is put strongly, intentionally by Paul. Keep reading. The failure of some to continue attending the gatherings of the community is cast not simply as neglect, but as wrongful abandonment. You know what? You can get a divorce, and you can get it for a wrongful abandonment. And they'll give it to you. That's a serious charge. Wrongful abandonment. You quit. You left the marriage. You left me. That's what Paul is saying about the church. Uh, this, this word for forsaking not or, or don't give up uh, is used in the, in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. It's used 170 plus times. I'm going to show you. It's a covenantal term. It's about God talking about his people and saying, man, you, you are dissing me. You are, you, wrongful abandonment has taken place. Watch this. This is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors. He dies at the end of the book. And these people will soon. He's talking about the church, Israel. These people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me. There it is. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. One more. Go to the next chapter, 32, verse 15. They abandoned, God is speaking about Israel in the future, they abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock of their Savior. Now, this is really heavy stuff. You think about it. Abandon? That might not seem too much to you. I mean, I mean, Dwight, what's the big deal? But that one word is huge in realizing how earnestly Paul, the author, is warning his readers, do not forsake. Please don't forsake getting together in worship. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't quit going to church. That's what causes Tire blood. That's what causes languishing. Now, O'Brien moves in for the with this line, the last word from O'Brien. The following warning about apostasy. Okay, stop right there. So what he's saying is if you keep reading past verse 25, 26 to 31, it's one of the most dire warnings against apostasy in all of Scripture. So he's talking about that. He's not talking about what we just read. The following warning about apostasy, the fact that it, is, it follows on the heels of don't forsake getting together, 
implies that people who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and of abandoning the Lord himself. End quote. Whoa. It's not just about abandoning the church or abandoning worship. You're abandoning God, Paul exclaims. And I know what you're thinking. You say, hey, Dwight, it's not, just, it's not that big of a deal. I appreciate you trying to uh, enlighten me, but it's not that big of a deal. The pandemic came along and gave us some time off from church. And by the way, I really like it now. Yeah, I do. There's nothing like going to church in my pajamas. I have a hot drink right here at this hand. I have a bowl of breakfast cereal in my lap, and I have my trusty old laptop in front of me, and I can go to church. And I don't have to go to church where you go to church. I can go to church anywhere in the world. I can go to church anytime. I can go to church anywhere. I may never go to church at all. I have it all here. Oh, I know that the pandemic has left, but you know, pandemics come, pandemics go. What do you mean I'm not going to church? I'm doing it right here by myself. No, I got my wife here, so we're doing church together. Do you understand that, Dwight? We're doing church. Yo, a new and easier way to do church. No one, you like it. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I bet you do like it. No commitment, no bother, no fuss, no mess, no getting the kids dressed and ready for church. What a hassle that used to be. Now it's just you and your laptop. God knows what the kids are doing with their laptops in their bedrooms right now, but that's another matter. And besides, none of this messy ecclesiastical stuff of having to bump into people and say, hi, how are you doing? And really mean it. You don't have to do that anymore. That's cool. Nope. And you don't have their problems to worry about because their problems are not your problems, are they? No, you got your own problems. Their needs are not your needs, are they? No, you got your own needs. Yep, it's just you, 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 and your little laptop. But that's the problem. The laptop has become all about you. That's the problem. Paul's intentional use of the word abandon. I want you to see this or forsake, is meant to point out that when you forsake worship with the church, you forsake the Lord of the church. That's what he's saying. Your argument is not with me. Let me tell you something about electronic media. All that gadgetry and all that technology in live streaming are for communicating a teaching and not creating a fellowship. Oh, we try hard. We got a little, we got a little chat moderator that's just going, you know, and people are checking in and checking out and checking in and checking out. We try. In fact, we have people now contacting this church from far away, and they're saying, hey, we want to be members of your church. Can we transfer our membership to your church? Well, yeah, you move into town. No, we're not moving to town. We'll stay right where we are, but we'll be members of your church. What do you mean our church? Well, the, the, the laptop screen, we'll be there. That's not church. It's not church at all. That's teaching. Pioneer live stream. We do have people from around the world, and we're grateful. 
But all that notwithstanding, pioneer live streaming cannot replace and is not intended to replace person-to-person, believer-to-believer contact. Warmth, high communal, high touch. You can't, you can't build that electronically. You can say you've built it, but who are you kidding but yourself? You haven't built it. Period. Now, look, I realize, and I want to be very quick to insert this. We have some very dear and very fragile senior citizens who right now are watching. And I don't want you for a moment to feel guilty for watching. You know why? Because this live stream was created specifically for you, for people who just for the sake of safety and security have chosen not to come out of their houses during the pandemic and are choosing now to say, you know, I just don't know that I I, I can do it now. God understands, and so do we. We love you. Live stream is for you. But what I'm saying to you, if that's not you, and you're using live stream to shortcut any contact with the church and any messy people stuff, you're not only cutting yourself off from the church, you're cutting yourself off from Jesus. That's it. Am I making this up? I'm not. You see, we wrongly conclude that what worship is about is what I can get out of worship when I come. (laughs) That's not what worship is about. Worship is about what you can give to worship when you come. When you don't show up, something's missing from us. We'll get by. But what you could have brought to the table is not brought to the table. Worship is not about what you can get. Worship is about what you can give with yourself. High touch, communal. You can't get that anywhere else. You can't get it in the Rotary Club. You can't get it with a bunch of buddies watching football. You can't get it around a television, period. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Whoa. Are you tired of languishing by yourself? Are you? Hey, I got an invitation for you. It's time to come back. It's just a decision. That's all it is. People are making it all around you now. Look at this place. It's time to come back. The church needs you. And guess what? You need the church. The 19th century American evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, one night made a call on a businessman who had been attending church there in Chicago but had drifted away for some reason. The two of them sat in front of that crackling fire in that fireplace hearth as they visited, and then Moody inquired about why they'd been missing him. And the businessman said, oh, yes, you're right, of course. Life has gotten so busy. He just didn't have the time like he used to have. And, you know, but anyway, let me tell you something. I pray. I, I get the Bible out. And that's pretty good, isn't it? And Moody just smiled at him. He reached over and grabbed the tongs by the fireplace. And with those tongs, he reached into that roaring fire and he grabbed a red-hot coal and he pinched it and he pulled it out and he dropped it on the hearth. He didn't say a word. He kept staring. The businessman kept staring at that coal, red-hot. Then red. 
then orange, then gray, until finally it was nothing but a dark, cold lump of ash. From red hot in community with the other embers to gray and cold and all alone, the businessman got it. And God gave us Hebrews 10 so that we could get it too. Forsake not the gathering of your hearts together. High communal, high touch. Come on. Urging, spurring you on. Don't, don't drop out. Don't disappear. Nobody can make the decision for you but you. Nobody can drag you here but you. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Oh, Christ. I decide. I must decide. I want to come back. Don't you? I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to send you to our Connect card. We'll put it on the screen right here. You know the familiar number. We've used this all pandemic long, 269-281-2345. And text the word uh, sign up to, all right? One word, sign up to. It's going to give you four choices today. Choice number one, my next step today is sign me up. I want to flourish and begin attending church again. Yeah, I wish you'd put a check mark there. You say, do I don't have to put a check mark there? Of course you don't. But I wish you'd tell yourself that you want to go back to church. Just tell yourself. Self is listening very carefully to you right now. Here's, here's uh, box number two. Sign me up. I want to volunteer and serve at Pioneer. Yes, I do. Please give my name the, to the Volunteer Engagement Committee. I'll do whatever they need. Just, just have them give me a call. I want to get involved. I'm tired of this low-touch languishing. I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of coming here and sitting all alone. I want to be involved in this church. Just turn my name in. If you put a check mark there, please make sure we have your email address. Somebody will be in touch with you. Box number three. Uh, box number three. Sign me up. I want to flourish and join the spring cleanup in the village of Berrien Springs tomorrow. If you, if you text the number spruce, because it's about sprucing up, and the village came to us and said, hey, would you people come? You came last winter, and boy, we needed you. I don't know about the rest, but we can count on Pioneer. If you put a check mark there, or save yourself the check mark and just type, uh, text the word spruce, you'll get the directions and the times. Finally, number four, sign me up. I'm going to follow Jesus in baptism. Yes, I do. I've been languishing long enough. And I need a red-hot friendship with the Lord of this universe and the Lord of my church. I'm signing up. And I hope you do. Let's pray. Oh, God, it's time to sign up. The pandemic is theoretically behind us. We got life that has to go on. But we can't go on languishing. We just cannot. At this tepid pace, tire blood, we just can't do it. So please... Take our hearts signing up right now. Register it, please. We're coming back. 
back to activity, back to volunteering, back to serving like Jesus. Not such a big deal, really, Father. We simply want to follow in the steps of our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. There's a high-touch communal short, short little little hymn that we sing. Boy, today it really fits. I want you to just, what's the number again? 350 in the hymnal. So take the hymnal out. There's no disease on it today, I can assure you. So just take the, we just brought these hymnals back. Take the hymnal out and go to 350. Read the words because when you read it in the hymnal, it's so much more because you can't anticipate on the screen what the next word is. But read those four short little stanzas. It's just a two-bar hymn. But it's all about high touch and community, which is what church and Jesus are all about.